There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Blog Talk Radio. What's up, Rams fans? This is Van Ram. You're listening to Turf Show Radio with me, as always, 3K. How you doing today, 3K? I'm doing good, but I got to give it up to Smooth Criminal, who just posted that picture in the open thread for Turf Show Radio. St. Bradford looks like a porn star. I don't, I don't know any other way to put it, man. Now that they've gone into Mustache Week, I think Chris Long was calling it. It's getting a little silly. There, there's a little. A little too much Dirk Diggler going on there. What was it? No Shave November? Is that it? No Shave November? It was No November. Shave November, and now it's gone into, I think they're calling it Mustache Week. Ah, Mustache Week. Yeah, it's, you know, that's the problem. You, you forget these guys, you know, some of them are 22, 23 years old. And, uh, I think back to my mustache going ability at 22, 23 years old. Not the best. Not the best at all. I'll put it like this. When I went to the uh, non-commissioned officer academy in the Army, we had a contest for the last two weeks to see who could grow the ugliest mustache. And I'm proud to say that I came in second place. Uh, I I didn't have the ugliest out of all the non-commissioned officer candidates, but I was second. So I'm really proud of that. And, uh, you know, when I retire, when I get out of the Army, that's going to be something I look at and say, you know what, I really served my country with the the pubic (laughs) hair that grew naturally under my nose. Is there, a thing, is there like a medal for that? There should be, but there's not yet. I'll, I'll see if I, who like I the, need to the medals he has, I, and I'm going to get you, sucker. Yeah, yeah, sure. I think it, I think it's called the Rick Smith Medal of Honor. No, I don't know what it is, but uh, I, I did I did my best, and I'm damn close to deserving it. I, I was surprised that I got beaten, but it was pretty bad. Uh, well, you know, mustache is here, and, and I, I got to tell you, I'm hard pressed, even me. King of the awkward segue is hard pressed to come up with a way to go from porn star mustache to uh to the Rams without, you know, well, a inappropriate that, sexual predator joke. And that's just not the time or the place for it. That's the that's the beauty of Turf Show Radio, man. We cover all the bases, you know. Porn star mustaches, ugly army mustaches, sexual predators, and we're what, three minutes in? That's how you start radio shows. Maybe. You get that kind of stuff on ESPN radio. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's, it's, well, you, you know, do. You do get ugly mustaches and sexual predators. They just don't talk about it. Well, you know, ever since they filed Harold, fired Harold Reynolds, it's a little different. But you know, that's <laughs> the way it goes. 3K. With I, I under, as I understand it, we've got somebody here that is ready to talk some Rams. Got a Rams question for us. Hopefully, not a mustache uh, question, but. <laughs> we'll see. It's a couple of questions, but it, you know, it's David. He's going to get us started on some good conversation points, and we always want to throw it out to the community to to make sure that we hit on what's important to everybody. It's kind of like that new ESPN show, Audibles, but we started it. It's Herschel Times at SB Nation, man. They're just jumping off well, of us. So, David, about. you should be on the air, man. David, David you there? Hey, yeah, I'm here. Hey, guys. Um, first of all, love your show. I had a couple quick questions. Um, Steve, this has really been bothering me the uh, last couple of weeks, particularly last week. Uh, you know, Stephen Jackson, he's had a revolving door on the line that pretty much looks like a, um, 
that they go in and out as quick as a New York subway for the last two or three years. And, you know, yet he has risen above it. You know, he gets these yards that no one else could have gotten. They're stacking the box. They have people like Bowler and Bulger that they're trying to, you know, they're not worried about the quarterback position. Now we've got, at least with with a few exceptions, and, of course, um, you know, we had to have have our our, um, tackles out for a little bit. But, you know, we've had basically the same guys since spring training, and now we've got Steven Jackson here. He's, you know, I mean, he's been fairly healthy. Of course, he's got the finger issue, but he just, it seems like he's dancing or he's just getting stopped right at the line, and, you know, the interior doesn't seem to be doing the job. Do we, you know, it amazed me, really shocked me last week when you guys were talking about uh, the big announcement that maybe we shouldn't take a wide receiver first, and I've been warming to that idea this week, and I'm thinking maybe, you know, Spags likes to, to go start with the lines, maybe we need just a tremendous guard um, and, and, you know, an incognito without the discipline problems. Um, yeah. What do, you, what do you guys think about that? Because Steven Jackson just perplexing me that, or is he wearing down? You know, we hadn't given him any relief, that's for sure. David, that is the question of the day, question of the year, really. Um, I, I think there's a couple things, and we've talked about this before, but, you know, it's just, it's just – it came to light again because, you know, you saw the Denver game. I mean, how many carries did he have? What, 25, 22, 25, something like that? And, you know, he managed to get, I think it was 2.7 yards per carry. He had that one long run he made, and that was just kind of, you could see that was his on his vision. It wasn't a play call. He he got up, he, he bounced around and bounced out to the outside and broke off a nice, well, it was about a 20-yard run or so. And, and, uh, and you know, that was all Steven Jackson. So, I I think there's a two-pronged effect here. Now, 3K, jump in any time if, if, if I'm off track. But, you know, we've talked about the interior line isn't as good at run blocking as they were. And, and I think, you know, David, you make a good point. Incognito, you know, he was a knucklehead. He was a problem child. And, you know, for all the problems, it's what did Billy Devaney say about him? Like, you know, the guy has a world of talent, but, you know, hardly two brain cells to rub together when it when, <laughs> when he needed it. But – and you don't have that this year. And, and Goldberg's a, a solid pass blocker in the middle, but he's not. A, you know, he doesn't have the size to go up against some of the, a lot of the defensive tackles you see in the NFL now. The 300 pound, the powerful 300 plus pound. I mean, that are truly athletes. It's not just lamp, you know, meat chop guys out there that they're throwing up on the line. These are, these are big athletic guys nowadays that you you, you find on defensive lines, and and that's that's been part of it. And I think too. You've got a quarterback, and as somebody said to me recently, you've got about 50 million reasons why the Rams are passing the ball a lot more now. And if you go back and look at the numbers, they are. They're passing way more than they used to, especially on first and second downs than they did last year. And that that seems kind of strange when you have Steven Jackson, but opposing defenses are still gaming for Steven Jackson. They're still loading eight, nine men in the box. And you saw that this last week against Denver. You saw how rough they were defending Jackson at the expense of the other players. But it's kind of funny, you know, they had eight men in the box against Jackson, and they had Champ Bailey on Danny Amendola. So, uh, you know, that's kind of that's opposing defenses are still planning their strategy around stopping Steven Jackson, and that's kind of what the offensive coordinator and, and the and the Rams coaching staff are, are playing that to, to our advantage. Now, 
it, it's hard to watch a guy like Steven Jackson as kind of your, you know, somewhat of a decoy out there, but it's working. I mean, they're moving the ball down the field, and when they did not do nothing but run, like we saw last week in Denver, it was it was problems. You know, they couldn't. They were three and out, three and out, three and out. So. I think there's a combination of factors at play there, and I think you're right. We do need a guard. We absolutely need a guard. Um, and I think, too, you've got, you know, the fact that you need another running back for, behind Steven Jackson, and I think you've got an offense now that's 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 a, that's a passing offense. It's a pass-first offense, and that's the first time in a long time for the St. Louis Rams. 3K? Yeah, I mean, you, you touch on a lot of what's going on. It's personnel issues. The idea that, you know, Goldberg has a tackles build. He's tall and he's relatively lean. I think he's barely over 300. And uh, Jacob Bell's right around 300, even though he's 6'4". He's a bit shorter in squatter. But a guy like Richie Incognito, who's 6'3", 324, and even John Greco, everybody's favorite inactive, is 6'4", and about 330. Those are guard-type bodies. Um, Those are the guys who are going to get it done in the running game. We're, We're building a finesse line. And it's like you talked about with your your mystery friend that that gave you that hint that there are 50 million reasons why we're passing. It, it's more than just Sam Bradford and wide receivers and game planning. It's got to be comprehensive. Everything has to be built around the idea that Sam Bradford is going to be able to pass this team to victory. And it's painful because you're doing this on the back of a career like Steven Jackson's that has been so prolific at the at the running back position. The guy who now is the you know the greatest all time rushing you know, leader for the St. Louis Rams for the franchise itself, going back to his Los Angeles days. It's hard to to have a talent like that and come to grips with the reality that you're not a running team, but you've got to credit the coaching staff for understanding that and then building around that reality. Now, we're not quite there yet, and you still got to get better in the run-blocking game. You can't be that, you know, you can't be third and one ineffective the way the Rams were against, yeah. you know, who was it, Atlanta in that game where they just got chopped out. You can't allow that. You've got to have guys that may be pass-blocking specialists, but when you need them to really get that run game going, and even if it's just a yard or, or even if it's that play where it's easy, where the team's assuming it's a pass, they sit back, and it should be that lane that opens up if you run it right. You've got to be able to execute, and that's just not something we're doing right now. Is it Steven Jackson wearing down? I don't think so. I think the injury, especially the groin injury, not the finger injury as much, hurt him early on in the year. There were about two weeks after that groin injury against Washington where he was he was having difficulty cutting. Um, but I think since then, I think he's come back all right. He's looking healthy. He's moving okay. But every time he comes to the back of that line, there's just nothing there. There's just nothing there. Um, yeah. So I, I don't think it's as much about Steven Jackson as it is the line. Well, and you see, you know, and he still runs well. You see him and how effective he is when the Rams will run him, will run the ball, hand off the ball to Jackson out of the shotgun or out of like a three and four wide receiver set. You know, he's made solid gains in, in those formations. So, you know, but, you know, there they've spread the field and they're looking, uh, the defenses are looking for pass. They're not loading the box and, you know, making it a battle in the trenches where Steven Jackson has to hit the line and find a hole and go. So, you know, when they open the field, Jackson still got it. I mean, I, and that's to his credit. Now, I, I mean, personally, I'd like to see him, if they're going to run the ball some, then why not run it out of those formations as, as opposed to just kind of your single back set where you're completely dependent on, you know, going up the gut. But 
that's the way. Yeah, it I is. think a lot of it is, is going to depend, and then I'll throw it back to you, David. I, I think a lot of it is going to depend on how consistent they get with play calling for Sam Bradford. I still think there's a lot of play calling for Steven Jackson. You saw it at the end of the game against Denver, mm-hmm. and I think we saw how, how well that worked out. You, you still got to be able to say, look, Sam Bradford is going to lead this team. If we're going to make that a reality, you've got to, you've got to make it re- a reality in the toughest spots, when it's third and two, when it's goal line. Th- those areas where you should be able to run and we can't, those are the opportunities to really put it on Sam Bradford to make a play, and he's done it when we needed him to, rolling out, killing time, finding guys like Bajima, Mawanui, even Brandon Gibson when he's rolling out and making time and creating plays out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of things that you're going to do if you're going to put the kind of the game that we're putting on him to create. If you're going to put it on Steven Jackson, though, and, and I mean we're not, but you've got to overhaul everything in the entire approach. So that being the case, if we're going to make this Sam Bradford's team and Sam Bradford's offense, you've you got to roll it into those difficult positions. And that's, I think, what's been most frustrating to me is that, like you're saying, we're rolling it out of the – we're coming out of these different formations. But at the same time, when we know it's a running play, we're not trying to use the, the same diversity of formations. And to me, that's really – it's really difficult to do. And we saw a lot of that against Atlanta. That's a team that's doing – you know, yeah. running offense the way we need to be running it. And, and it really showed the gulf in talent between our teams. But I know, David, you've got some other things you want to talk about with some man. Uh, yeah, and I just had a follow up to them. Does what you say, and that's really that really helps me there. But um, does what you say make it where uh, feasible that we would take a guard, maybe even first round, when we have so many other needs? Because you know, I'm like, I understand Goldberg's better at the pass, and it just kills me that Greco can't be active because I loved it. You know, when he could come in when we needed to run, but of course now we got to have Reynolds because we're scared of the, uh, you know, one of the tackles goes down. Uh, you know, do we get a guard that has nimble feet and, you know, but he's big and mean enough to, uh, you know, give him room? You know, can we do, could we, you legitimately see them taking a guard first or second round with all the other needs we have? I, I, I doubt I could. It. I'll jump and on I, this and I'll, I'll throw it back to you, Van. You're saying you doubt it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll throw it back to you, but here's what I would say. I'd say, first off, we still have a decent enough amount of football, meaningful football, that's going to really decode where the priorities lay for this team. And, and I think that's going to be the key, is how does the Devaney and the entire front office prioritize the needs that we have? I mean, we've got significant needs, whether it's outside linebacker, wide receiver, backup, running back, interior offensive line. We've talked about those all season. Where is the priority, and then how does your draft strategy impact that priority? For a team that doesn't have a number one quarterback, that's a priority, and the draft strategy has to reflect that. That's an easy example. But when you have these kind of secondary needs as a team that's obviously improving, where the core of the team is young, where do you need to improve it the most? A lot of that has to do with coaching. Steve Spagnuolo has shown as a defensive coordinator he didn't put a lot of priority behind outside linebackers. I know, I know there's been a lot of mocks being thrown out that have us taking outside linebackers early. I don't see that happening simply because of his history. Now he may have yeah. a reverse and direction and go that route now that he's got his own team and he's building something else and the opportunity may be there with somebody that he really believes in, a prospect that he thinks fits. But in terms of what their priorities are, you know, th- there's not enough history there right now. Uh, we've got history with offensive tackles, Jason Smith in the first, Roger Saffold in the second. But, you know, you look at a team like the 49ers who went out and got Iapati uh, out of Idaho. I think there's an opportunity there to pull in a guard that makes sense for us if the right prospect's there and maybe at the back end of a first round. I wouldn't be too surprised. Well, and that's a good – I mean, you know, with the – are you still there? Oh, Yeah. Hello? 
Hello. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I just I, my phone was doing some weird things. Anyway, I, I you know I, that's a good point you make, 3K, because this whole playoff, uh, you know, it, it's been a while since we've had to talk about playoff considerations and the Rams. But you know, if they win the division title and make the playoffs, that's going to change their draft position. I mean, you could go from 12th to 22nd in the draft, and and then suddenly, you know, you're probably too far back for. You're definitely too far back for A.J. Green, probably so for Julio Jones if you're talking wide receivers or some of the, you know, other the top-tier defensive ends that you're looking at in the first round. So, you know, a guard like Pouncey could be in the conversation at that point. But, sure. you know, you got to see what happens. I still think they're probably going to look at – I mean, I, I'd say in the first round, depending – and it all depends on who's available and where they're picking, but – I still I still think they're probably looking at more of like a playmaking type player on either side of the ball, whether that's a wide receiver, whether that's a even a backup running back or a you know a defensive lineman, you know, a, another pass rusher to have on the other side of Chris Long. Um but, you know, it it could go a lot of different ways. I mean, who who thought they were going to take Roger Saffold with the first pick of the second round last year, you know? And that's a pick that's worked out great. David, what do you think, man? Any other thoughts? Any other questions? Uh, yeah, I'd like, you know, we have not gotten to see uh, Bradford in an off season yet, and I'll be real interested to see this. I'm really hoping he'll be, um, you know, like Peyton Manning, and you know, work with the receivers and be a studier. I mean, he seems like he's a hard worker, and by what I've heard, yeah, I don't know him personally, so I don't get to see his work habits. But everything you hear that he he's well prepared works hard, but we haven't seen him in an off-season. I'm hoping that he will just be a, a maniac out there like Peyton obviously is. And, you know, he's risen, the cream has risen to the top for a reason, and it's been more than talent. And my question, you guys are going to have to coach me up a little bit on this. Um, I haven't been too familiar with the Sugar until the Atlanta game, and even though, uh, of course, I didn't like the results, uh, it was real interesting to see Matt Ryan do this Sugar where he just sit back there, let those um, let it tick off, you know, kind of mellow out the def- the ferocious defense that we have. You know, we didn't touch him, I don't think, during that game hardly. And basically one thing the announcer said that I found really interesting for the future, um, he said that this is something that can, a technique that can um, take complex defenses and make them vanilla, and I'm like, you know, once we get better and once we start becoming a legitimate playoff team, which I think we're going to become sooner than later, um, you know, we're going to be hitting harder competition. We haven't really this year as much. We hadn't played the Pittsburghs or the Baltimores and, you know, things like New England. Uh, And, you know, we're going to hit these really tough teams with these exotic defenses and, you know, the Jets and people, folks like that, uh, you know, I would love to have a guy uh, like, you know, that, that does what Matt Ryan's doing and just vanilla out that thing. Do you do you see him maybe, you know, watching the the opposing quarterback in that game saying, hey, I want some of that, learning that this, you know, he's, they said that you have to be really smart to run that. I remember that's one thing they said. I'm like, you know, I think he had a higher wonder lick than, um, than Ryan did. So uh, what do you guys think about this? I, I, that's the one thing I liked about that game is I saw Bradford maybe doing some of that in the future. I mean, he's already comfortable with the no huddle. Uh, what do you guys think? Well, I mean, you look at it, you know, he runs the the, that, the no huddle, the two-minute offense, the no huddle offense. That's the 
the most effective the most effective offensive strategy the Rams have in their deck of cards right now. I mean, against Denver, every time they did that, they put points on the board every single time. And when they got away from it, you know, that's what you know. You kind of saw that stuff in the second half where they couldn't move the ball, and Denver mounted a little bit of a comeback. Um, you, you know, you know, you, you talk about that the cool headedness like that. That's you know, just look at Bradford and you you watch him playing the games, and sometimes it's hard to you know remember that the, the kid's a rookie. I mean, this is his first season in the NFL, and he didn't really play much football last year because he was hurt. So it's not like you know he just jumped right over from you know the high-powered college football program over to the NFL and and just had a few months layover in between. He, he you know he gets he shakes off hits, he jumps up. Stuff doesn't frustrate him. I mean, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't lose his cool. If things happen behind the line that aren't supposed to happen, he manages it well. He picked like what was the the, the game he picked? He dropped the the forced fumble. They dropped the ball. He picked it right up. It was no problem. It was cool headed about it. Um, it's just it's amazing to see that stuff happen. And and I think you know you're looking on a guy that can that can do those sort of things behind the line. Yeah, I mean to bring it back to an X's and O's perspective, the the key with the sugar, and the sugar is essentially a no-huddle offense. That's really all it is. But the key is to have a quarterback who understands, number one, all the, all the plays in a playbook. Number two, why there, are, why there are so many plays and what those plays are designed to do, what mismatches they're designed to create. And then three, how to apply those mismatches on the field once he assesses uh, the, the defense. I, maybe I'll put a, a piece up tomorrow morning that kind of goes through everything a quarterback has to assess before the snap. But essentially, in, in order to run that kind of offense, you have got to have a quarterback who is a mastermind both in the team's offense and in football theory itself. That's why it, it essentially originated with Sam Weish and the Cincinnati Bengals when he had Boomer Esiason. Uh It got real famous in the 90s, if people remember the K-gun that Jim Kelly used to run for the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> And now you see it across the league. You see guys like Matt Ryan, Roethlisberger runs it sometimes with the Steelers. Of course, Manning and Brady run it. Uh, Carson Palmer's run it sometimes with Cincinnati. You've got to have somebody who's got enough experience with an offensive coordinator and the head coach to understand the offensive theory, but then, of course, enough experience with the playbook to know everything so that when when he recognizes or at least suggest something about the defense. He can say, here's where the mismatch is going to be. Here's how we're going to exploit it, and go through that kind of mental Rolodex to flip up whatever play it is that best exploits that mismatch. It's difficult to have a rookie do that simply because he just doesn't have experience with the playbook and with the complex theory that goes into an NFL offense. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe a year or two down the line that's something we start experimenting with. But at this point, I mean, that's a lot to put on Sam Bradford's shoulders. Yeah, the Ryan comparisons in interest is is an interesting and an apt one, I think, because you know you look at you're, you look at similar situations. Obviously, Atlanta was a little more successful in uh, not in Ryan's rookie season, but you know certainly Bradford and, and Ryan are, are players that have been compared to one another before, and, and the situations are similar, you know, in terms of where a team stands when those rookie quarterbacks come in and took over and. And then just the kind of the head for the game that those guys have. I mean, just kind of that instinct for 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 for, for how to do it and where to play it and how to, how to run the game like that. And I think that's a, you know, I, I agree. I mean, I think that's two or three years from now. That's something you're going to see Bradford doing a lot more of. 
And just to bring it back to your point, David, that's the kind of thing that you can develop in the offseason. That's the kind of understanding and the, the profundity of understanding. You've got to get so deep into a textbook that it's not just understanding where one player is going, understanding what the offensive line is supposed to be doing, but to understand why and then how to exploit that when you face specific kinds of defenses. That's the kind of thing that you use your offseason time in terms of studying the playbook and working with the wide receivers and offensive line like you were talking about. And I, I, I'm with you. That's something I'd love to hear more from Sam Bradford this offense, uh, this offseason. Well, I'm sure you guys have thought about this, but wouldn't it be nice if he worked with the receivers in the offseason? You saw the kind of uh, connection he had with Clayton just from working with him. Just offseason, he's never been on this team. And those guys had a connection immediately. Wouldn't that be wonderful to see Brandon Gibson like that, uh, you know, Big Mike like that, uh, you know, uh, I mean, uh, all the you know, all the guys like that. I mean, it, I think that would be a huge advantage if he would work with them like I know Peyton has done with um, his receivers. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, and, you know, you look at yeah. these guys that are coming along, too, and it's a group of young receivers that, you know, they certainly could – I don't think I don't think anyone would argue that they don't they couldn't use a little a little extra seasoning in the off season themselves. Yeah, and that's the thing I was going to say. The the biggest difference between Peyton Manning and his Colts and Sam Bradford and the Rams is twofold. Number one, Peyton doesn't get the kind of talent at running back that we get out of Sam, Stephen Jackson, and you have to apply that to how you run your offense. And then number two. He's had much more consistency with his wide receivers over the years than we have, uh, especially over these last two, three years, and now with Sam Bradford. We've talked about it. We don't know what the wide receiving core is going to look like next year, and that makes it hard for a guy like Sam Bradford and even you know, Pat Shermer and Spagnuolo to try to, to, try to start organizing things in the offseason, knowing that, what, maybe three, maybe even four of the wide receivers on your depth chart aren't going to be back next year. It's hard, yeah. to, it's hard to put that much effort into something like that with that much uncertainty. Hey, do you? Absolutely. I'm curious about something. Um, Illinois, Mike, uh, do you think that these ankle problems are those congenital? I mean, when you have that, uh, and I know he had it in his senior year in college. He's had it a couple of times. Is that a misnomer, or is that something you can, you know, a lot of times you expect to, to follow him? Uh, because I love this guy, and and I sure want him to be a mainstay. Uh, you know, a guy like you know, like Dallas has had and Indy has had that that kind of, uh, you know, tied in. Uh, eventually, a Gonzalez type that's just you know awesome. I, you know that that's interesting. You bring up the ankle sprain because it was earlier in the year he had an ankle sprain when he missed time too. It was he was it was game one I think wasn't it? Yeah, it was after his first pass. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Week one, and, and I think what happens with injuries like that, and I could be wrong, like. I, I'm not a doctor, but I do play one on the Internet. Um, You know, with an injury like that, like an ankle or that kind of injury, I I think what happens in the recovery period is, and you read about this with other, you know, similar injuries like that, is is it kind of changes how you play and, and and the nature of your movement a little bit. So maybe it's like you're favoring one leg a little bit more, you're favoring a way of striding that's different than the way you were used to striding, and it's because you know you're you're dealing with that ankle injury, you're and you're comp- overcompensating it through some other, you know, even the slightest change in in you know, the physical way you run or catch or hit or block or whatever it is. And so you just wonder if if that's not kind of maybe what you see a little bit here with a re- an injury that's repeated itself like that. 
with you know with with uh oh, and hopefully you know with the off season he'll have plenty of time to rest on that and kind of rehab it and rehab it in the right direction. Whereas in the middle of the season, it's a hurt. You you know you want to get get back out on the field. You rush through that rehab as fast as you can, and 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 you you put yourself back out there on the field. And, and unfortunately, sometimes that means you you don't lose the the heightened risk of injury that you would over a normal kind of course of recovery. Does that yeah, mean, does that make key. any sense? Yeah. No, it definitely does, and, and you're right. It, the, the difference is a mid-season injury versus, a, you know, being able to rehab it in the off-season. When you're pressed into action with an ankle injury, I had a high ankle sprain my senior year. Uh, I played cornerback. And, you know, when I got back to what I felt was full strength, I could play and I could make the moves that I needed to do with my ankle. But every time I would turn that ankle, it was my right ankle, it, it was so much softer than my left. And it and it was that way for about three years before it really, really fully healed. But I could play and I could do what I needed to do. But when I hurt it, if I had my left ankle turn twist the same way, I could walk it off and I'd be fine within ten minutes. If it was my right ankle, I could barely walk on it. it those kind of things take a lot longer to heal than, than other kinds of injuries, especially when you're trying to play through them. And I think that's what's been difficult for Rams fans and for Mike himself is that, you know, he's trying to get out there and play hurt and play limited and do things that he can obviously do. That's why everybody's so excited about him and he's making plays is that when he's feel, when he has a good foot underneath him, he can do the right thing. But, you know, it's the same thing that we're dealing with with a lot of other players and the same kind of issue that we're worried about Denario Alexander when you've got that kind of soft spot on your body. How long does it hold up before it gives out? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a concern. I mean, that'll be, you know, that'll be uh, – we're all excited about the playoffs, but, you know, that'll be a, another good thing for the Rams this offseason is have, to have a few months to kind of rest and heal some of those wounds and, and, and hit the ground running in August with, with, with a full, healthy roster. Yeah, I really don't think there's a joint that will be more important to the Rams this offseason than Nario's knee. No, absolutely not. And that's a joint that's going to have, you know, some some impact in decision making this off season, whether it's the draft or free agency. You know, we've all we talk ad nauseum about the Rams' need for a wide receiver, but you know, you've got a pretty talented guy in Denario Alexander. It's just, is he? Does the injury risk outweigh the outweigh the need to go out and get a to to get another player to get to get the, the best wide receiver you can get or you know whether it's a first round pick or a, the pricey free agent or what and that's a, that's something that that makes that issue that much more complicated and like we spoke about before with so much football in front of us if Alexander is able to go through the rest of the season and play you know full speed and not suffer you know more injury to that knee and still go every game and bring us his A game that that certainly suggests something. That certainly tells us something about the health of that knee. And you notice too, um, it was said after the game in several places, and he didn't. He played between twenty and thirty snaps, so by no means did he play every single snap on with the offense. And he's not even listed as a starter. I mean, technically, he is not the start. The Rams' starting wide receiver now. With wide receiver starting is a little is a little you know, more of a shadowy definition for that than as opposed to, you know, quarterback or offensive lineman or something like that. But it's a, you know, they're limiting his snaps because of, because of those, partly because of those injury concerns and then partly because of the, you know, the style of the plays that he knows and he's a rookie, he hasn't had a lot of time to get out there and learn the vast majority of the playbook by any means yet. So it's a, but it's definitely injuries, one of After all those injuries, I what? expected him to be tentative, but he's, boy, he's not. He, 
he plays rough. I like the way he gets out there, but I'm I'm glad they're limiting him because, uh, you know, I'm sure he'd play every play if he could, but, you know, cooler heads need to prevail, and, and I want him for the long term because I think he's got all the potential in the world. I'd love to see he and Avery out there, um, and, of course, Amendola in the slot. Man, that'd be sweet, and even Clayton. <laughs> yeah, and that's, you know, and that's the problem with, you know, we love physical players, but... The problem with being a physical player is your your injury risk is up. And Alexander's a physical guy when he goes down the field against those safeties and cornerbacks. It's it's fun to watch, but you know that's part of the reason you've got five knee surgeries into your career. Well, hey David, man, if you don't have any other questions, we're going to get this rolling. Any other thoughts? Any anything else you want us to discuss on there? Well, hey, just to say that, guys, it's always a pleasure. Look forward to it, and I learn a lot. And thank you so much for for answering the questions. I appreciate it. Hey, a great, no great show. Hey, thanks for hey, calling, Dan. You're welcome. Three K. Well, there you go, man. Hey, I love it, man. I love getting the I love getting Tershaw Timers involved. I, I'm looking at the open thread. There's a lot going on, man. There's a lot to talk about. Well, Three K, we do not want to keep a public waiting. Should we roll through it? Guess so, man. I guess so. I mean, we already talked about the porn star mustache. I think we've beaten that one to death. Um, <laughs> Bug Nasty was talking about, suggested the front office has spent way too much money on the O line, and, and that defenses are still stacking the box against us. That may, maybe there's financial concerns, and I know the CBA cloud trumps all arguments, but you know that's something to suggest. And Rams fan noted that. You, you still got enough youth on the line that uh, there's going to be some growth there. Maybe that's a good investment. Hey, here's a question for you from Rams fan seven. I'll throw this at you. Do you think Jonathan Baldwin makes sense as a, a late first round grab, a big possession red zone threat at the end of the first round? What do you think about that? Whew. I, you know, three K. What we saw the mock draft earlier this week that had a, uh, damn, I can't think of his name, but he's the big wide receiver from Oklahoma State. Justin Blackman. Justin Blackman. Dustin Blackman, first round, had the Rams picking 21st because of, uh, you know, the assumption that they'd win the NFC West and make make the playoffs. So it was a little further down the, the draft board than we've been used to for quite some time. So they had the Rams going Blackman at 21st. But uh, I don't know. I mean, that's to me that seems like a um, – Baldwin seems like, uh, you know, uh, the kind of receiver you – a physical – you know, maybe tall jump ball type guy that that you can you can count on in the end zone, but I don't know. I, I just don't know. Three K. This whole wide receiver question is not as easy as it seemed. Is not as, as easy of a question to answer as it seemed like it was one, two, three months ago. It's not as easy it as at, at, at all. Agreed, and I mean that's the that's the key about a guy like Sam Bradford. He elevates an entire offense to the point. That it almost—I mean, that's why I came out and said that I didn't think we should draft the wide receiver in the first two rounds. Is that when you've got a quarterback that elevates the offense and it elevates mediocre wide receivers above that point so that they're making plays, mm-hmm. it, it makes it hard. It, it makes it hard to try to isolate wide receivers' prospects and say, well, who do you need and why is that more, person more valuable than someone else? Um, uh, just to keep it going well, from Rams fan seven. He, oh, go ahead, go ahead. K, let me jump in one more one more quick thought on the wide receiver. You know, we've always we we we've talked about this in terms of the draft, but think about it with free agency. Or you know, now Mark sure. Clayton wasn't a free agent; he was a trade. But you know, Mark Clayton was a guy that was largely forgotten about as in terms of a wide receiver. He had a role to play in Baltimore. He was a member of that team. He was a contributor, but you know, he wasn't he wasn't a guy that 
you know, he certainly didn't sell tickets and he certainly didn't make the offense, um, you know, the, the the constant downfield threat. And he came over to Ram, came over the Rams, like you said, made that connection with Sam Bradford and look at him. Suddenly the guy was a household name. He still, you go back a few weeks ago, he was still among the uh, among the leaders for catches and, and yardage in the NFL, and he hadn't played sure. for four weeks. But, you know, that makes the free agent market a little more interesting. Yeah, Vincent, you've got names like Vincent Jackson that are going to be out there in high demand and then the big contracts that go with those kind of guys. But, you know, Mark Clayton, you've got to think about guys on that level in terms of free agency too. You bring in a guy like that and all of a sudden you've got a, you've got a real steal on your hands without handing over one of those $40, $50, 60000000 million guaranteed contracts to a wide receiver and you've got this, a similar level of production because of what you have at quarterback. Yeah, speaking of that, you know, production for value, Rams fan seven had a tough question, and I'm just going to throw it to you. I know there's not a right answer right now. Who, who would you I'm rather correct. keep, Ron Robinson or Brandon Gibson? You know, right now I, I'd have to go with Gibson. He, the guy, I mean, he's not the best. He's never going to be an elite receiver. But these last few games, and, you know, there was that frustrating moment um, was that against Atlanta or was that the week before where he, he had the ball and was about two yards from a first down and he kind of shuffled and missed the first down. And, you right. know, right after the game he acknowledged that in the press. And, and But, you know, since then he's really tightened the screws and he's had some good games for the Rams. He gets yards, he makes a catch. He's Like I say, he's not the best hands, he's not the best yards after the catch guy, but he's good enough in both those areas that he's been an asset. And you know, he's played much better than Laurent Robinson has. Now, Robinson had a little bit better game against Denver, so hopefully that's something, you know, down the stretch he starts getting back up to expectations. The Rams certainly need that. But, you know, right now, week 12, after week 12, I'd have to I'd have to go with Gibson. 3K? Yeah, I mean, that's the I, – I got to agree with you, you know, Gibson's got, I think, 10 or 11 more catches than Robinson does. He's got a good 150 yards plus – on Robinson, but that's because Gibson gets the yak. And I think that's the center of the question. And, and the issue that that the Rams really need to figure out with their wide receivers is what what are the roles that need to be improved on this offense? What role is LeRon Robinson occupying? If he's supposed to be the possession guy, well, then that's the issue because he's not providing that. Danny Amendola's, you know, pulling his weight in that area. And, and even, you know, just having Sam Bradford being able to make decisions is making more out of that than he should have to. If you're looking for a, a, a true possession guy that's going to upgrade your ability to do things maybe in the third and medium red zone you know type plays, then yeah, that's where that's where LeRon Robinson is supposed to be producing, and he's obviously not. The thing about Gibson is he's obviously the kind of guy that that specializes in getting those yards after his reception, and sometimes that bites you in the ass when when he's you know breaking tackles to try to get extra yards, and when it doesn't work on a third down and nine, and he's getting you eight yards, it hurts. It really hurts. I think the question is, what is his role supposed to be? Is he supposed to be a yak specialist? Because if he is, as a coach, that, those are the kind of things you got to live with. Sometimes it's going to work out, and you're going to get a 30-yard gain, 25-yard gain out of a six-yard catch. Other times you get an eight-yard catch, and you get eight yards when you need nine. Um, yeah. I, I think that's one of those things that we'll, we'll find out a lot more about in, in the off season when people start getting healthy, people like Mark Clayton and Donnie Avery. And the front office has an opportunity to go through the the waiver wire, go through free agency, and go through the draft and start talking about who they're looking for and why. 
Well, and these last five games are going to be are a big. I mean, you know, everybody's focused on the playoff push, but I, you know, don't forget the player evaluation component of the of the the final five games of the season. I mean, the Rams face, you know, some some teams that are giving, going to give them some different looks, a different set of problems every week, and and it's a good chance for the coaches and the front office guys and even the players on the field to kind of look out there and see what they've got and understand you know, who can play what role going forward next season. Now you just you look at the quarterback. Bradford's play over the last, you compare it his first five games to his last six games, much better player. I mean, and then that, that's no surprise because we've talked about it. You, you know the player, you know, you know Bradford, and you've watched the games, and we talk about it ad nauseum on the site. But, you know, he's a much better player than he was six weeks ago. And, and that's going to make a difference for the receivers too. I mean, the Rams are kind of, you know the the cylinders are all hitting at the same time, um, right when you want them to be. So that that's yeah. another thing to kind of keep your eye on down the stretch. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is going to have to do with those last three games. I mean, when when you're talking about meaningful football, that that's really where a lot of people not not just make their own profiles, make their own careers, but make their contracts and make their role, make their value to certain franchises. You, you've got two home games against Kansas City and San Francisco that if you want to be a playoff team, you've got to win, if not both of them, then at least one, certainly. And then you've got Seattle yeah. on the road to finish the season. Who, whoever comes up big in those games is going to immediately posit themselves as real Rams. It's really that simple. If you're going to come yeah. up big in the big games, that, that creates a role for you. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And those are big games. Those last two division games of the season are going to be—I think—they're going to be huge because San Francisco is a team that is capable of somehow stumbling its way into the into the picture in the NFC West. Sure. Seattle sure. is too. You know, Seattle—it seems like every week, you know, depending on what the injury situation is, has more to do with how they're going to play that week. But you know, if they have everybody healthy down the stretch. That's not an easy game in week 17. Yeah, I mean, let's let's bring it back, man, because I'm interested to hear what you think. We This is a big game tomorrow. This is a big opportunity to make a statement. After all the hype that's been building a couple weeks, you know, Sam Bradford, the Rams is a rebuilt franchise. Now we've got an Arizona game that we've – that you've got to win if you want to be taken legitimately as badly as the Cardinals have played, and you know the fact that we got our first road win. What, what do you What are you most interested in tomorrow? What are the themes, the motifs, the motifs, the themes that you're, that you're looking at? Let's break it down li- literary style. Literary style. Well, I guess you know the redemption of Derek Anderson. Does he get it together? He got some flack in the press this week for the the laughing on the sidelines thing and then the press conference meltdown. Does he pull it back together? Remember, this is a quarterback that beat the Rams once this season. Now, he beat the Rams not in the same sense that Matt Ryan beat the Rams, but he still, you know, he came away with the win in week one. And, you know, that's just something you can't take for granted. And and this is a team, Ken Weisenhut's a great coach, and I think if there's anybody that's capable of, of, of you know, ringing a few necks and, and pulling people back together for at least for a game, that's a guy that can do it. So it's a it, you know it's not an easy it's a a trap game in the sense of it for the in the sense that the Rams finally have a or a team that has to worry about trap games. And now I don't want to curse myself because I said a similar thing I think before the Detroit game. So um, I'm knocking on wood and you know. 
doing all those other superstitious things here. Uh, so, so that's certainly one thing because you know he's got Breston and Fitzgerald out there now. The Rams struggled against Breston last time they played the Cardinals, and that's that area of the Breston works in that area of the field that has burned the Rams these last few games. Burned the Rams, and and that's a that's a problem. That's something to be worried about. On the I, I guess the other thing the, the thing I'm going to be looking for is the Rams offense. Um, you, the Cardinals have some veteran guys on defense, and you certainly have got a safety that is a that is more that, that's one of the better safeties in the league, kind of an underrated safety, really. But you know, he picked off Bradford twice in Week One, picked off Bradford, blocked a field goal. I mean, the guy was amazing in the first week of the season, Adrian Wilson, and you know that's a that's a concern. You know, you you don't have. There's nothing guaranteed from week to week with this offense yet. And as good as they were last week, they're more than capable of being shaky the next week. So uh, I think that's the other thing you've got to see. So I guess those are my two top-line concerns, 3K. Now, I think Arizona, given what happened with Brian Westbrook, I think they're going to be keyed in on Steven Jackson, kind of like the Broncos were. So, you know, maybe this is the week that Steven Jackson breaks free for some yardage as you know, the matchup would seem to indicate, or maybe this is the week where he's once again he's kind of in that decoy mode. But either way, you know they've got to make it work this week. They cannot afford to lose this game. I completely agree on the fact that we can't afford to lose it. If it, I'll just throw, if I'm looking at one thing that I think really differentiates this game, it, it's not the fact that Arizona, you know, the last time we faced them was Week One. It's the idea that that in the beginnings of season, you're trying to figure out who you are, how you do the right things, how how you get the ball moving, how you stop the ball on defense, where, where your strengths lie, where your weaknesses are, those kinds of things. And right about Thanksgiving, you've got a strong, strong understanding of what kind of football team you are. And all you've got to do is turn it on, you know, spinal tap style to 11, and let let the chips fall where they do. That's the way good teams play, whether it's the Patriots, the Colts, the Chargers. In the NFC, you talk about Atlanta, Philadelphia, Green Bay. Those kinds of teams, by the time Thanksgiving rolls around, they know what they're trying to do. Yeah. All they go out and do, all, all the, the only way that they're successful is doing what they do as well as they can do it. It's really that simple. The question for me is, how, how does this team and how does the front office, the coaching staff, view this Rams team, the 2010 Rams, and what are our strengths? You can't say it's rushing. You just can't. It's a it's a no. complex. It's a, it's a diverse. I can't say complex. It's a diverse passing game, and it's a strong defense. That if we're going to get to the playoffs, that's how we're going to do it. So I'm interested to see what how we how we employ those two facets of our game against Arizona tomorrow. Because I mean, like you said, this this is a game you have to win. If you want to be taken seriously, you've got to win this game. Yeah. Well, and I guess, too, 3K, what, one thing that worries me a little bit in terms of, you know, talking about a team that's found its identity by November, and it's kind of funny because, you know, earlier in the season, the Rams had a very very strong, very well-established defensive identity. And now the last few games, the defense has been a little shaky. I mean, the pass rush hasn't been as consistent as it was early in the season, and that's hurt the secondary a little bit. So you've got, I mean, you've You've got the last three games, the 49ers, the Falcons, and the Broncos, a lot of damage has been done against the Rams' defense with on with a passing, with an efficient, effective passing game. 
and that's a concern going into going into this Arizona game. Yeah, everybody kind of laughs at Derek Anderson, and he's kind of a punchline, partly because of his own making. But you know, he still he still can make things work with guys like Steve Bresson and Larry Fitzgerald on the field. Bottom line, sure. and that's dangerous for the Rams. And that's you know this defense needs to pull it together. Now, I was it was encouraging because. You know, the point that was made after the Denver game last week is, yeah, we we struggled a little bit there at the end, but we got the win. We made the plays when we needed to make the plays. And that's good. That's a positive thing to build on heading into the game this week. But, you know, they, you can't afford to kind of have to, every week to have to bring it down to the line like that. It's just too, you're, just, you're playing with fire, and eventually, you know, you're, you're going to, it's not going to work out the way you need it to work out. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Um, I'm going to bring in the Fatakwa Futsal, the fan topic of the week for Tertial Radio, but I just want to throw Ooh. something out there real quick, man. Everybody was hating on it, and now that it's gone, I don't see a lot of love coming your way, Van, and that's the spam. The spam has disappeared. Uh, all my friends I like know. Li Ji and Gong Lu and Shang 3 and Igzgefezger, Man, I, I was really hyped up about all these great jerseys that they had retail wholesale for free cheap on the cash. And now they're gone, I, you know, man. Um, so I, I, I want to give you credit. I want to give you credit as a, as a you know the head guy here at Tertial Times for making them disappear, although I w- they will be missed. Well, I've, I've shot myself in the foot because here we are, what, three weeks from Christmas? Naturally, <laughs> I haven't got a lick of Christmas shopping done. And I need my family needs Ed Hardy T-shirts. My God, where am I going to get Ed Hardy T-shirts for a two-year-old boy and a thirty-some-year-old lady at that Re- price? I mean, really, you know? I'm just saying, replica, authentic jerseys for real prices. I've never, I've never seen advertising like that, and now it's gone. What to do? But my favorite was when they'd have the the pictures, the you know, the pictures that they've made out of the characters on the on the keyboard. That was yeah. always really entertaining to do that. They're but, great. You know, I, maybe it was that guy in Russia that was that what was responsible for a third of the world spam. Maybe maybe they busted that guy and our spam totals have declined. Or maybe you know, Jing Zhao and and Kong Lee. They, you know, maybe maybe they got busted themselves and and they're making those very Ed Hardy T-shirts that we can buy, that you and I can buy for. Discount prices in a Chinese prison factory somewhere. Who knows? Yeah, my, I, my mind works like – my mind is really silly. I really feel bad because I'm going to explain this. When I think of this and I read it, I'm trying to imagine some office somewhere in, like, you know, northern Pongzhou province with, like, a graphic design department. And there's, a, you know, a manager coming in one day and saying, all right, look, guys – I want you to come up with a picture of LeBron James using nothing but forward, backward slashes, equal signs, and parentheses. You have until 3 o'clock, and, you know, you have this team going hard at work. That's the kind of thing I imagine. It's not just one guy. It's a team, man. And, and when I look at this employment number that comes out, you know, I, I really got to blame you, Van. So I'm glad, I'm glad you took you know, some responsibility in that. Uh, I appreciate the, uh, the, the self-responsibility involved in what, hey, what's no, going on. Hey, no problem. No problem. And, and if I could add one thing to your scenario, I hope that if it's in China, this is happening. I hope there's like you know, a guy with a bayonet standing behind these graphic designers <laughs> and copywriters. Like every time they start to jack around a little bit, it's, ah, you know, a little bayonet. Stabs one of them in the neck. That's right. Keep moving, boys. Keep moving. 
Hey, but of course, as okay. always on Turf Show Radio, if Gee Long, if you're listening, feel free to call us. You're always welcome. You are welcome in the game threads. I always put you in the in the roll call. You're free to call Turf Show Radio. I, <laughs> man, that would be epic. That would be the greatest Turf Show Radio calling of all time. Is if Sean oh, Wu thirty five oh five would call in and explain why he was spamming Turf Show times and, and the. the the concept behind and, it. And how he gets such a good deal on Louis Vuitton handbag and Ed Hardy T-shirts. Well, he can't reveal his secrets. Come on. If he's going to call in, <laughs> let's keep it easy, then. Keep it easy on him. <laughs> All right. 3K, fan talk this week, the Patakwa. I'm trying, I'm trying to get my mind right here. Ah, the Patakwa Futzer. Here we go. Uh, with 63 votes, 46%, it was free agency. I mean, we've touched on it a little bit with the wide receivers and even interior linemen, but free agency, it, it's going to be a big deal. Um, Ramrod had a good piece that uh, went up earlier this morning, really, really earlier. I think maybe Ramrod was shopping the, the Chinese Ed Hardy sites a little bit too much and uh, burning that midnight oil off. Had a good piece on free agents coming out. Some in- some interesting candidates, you know, defensive line, outside linebacker, even cornerback. Um, what, what do you think? Oh, what, what are your early pizza. thoughts on the 2011 free agency period? I, well, first of all, you know, it, who knows what's going to happen with the 2011 free agency period because the league is in such a weird state of purgatory right now. But for the sake of conversation – Assume things are work out and everything's back to normal, and then it goes back to the to the to the orgy of spending that it is that we we've gotten used to every February. So let's take a look at that and see. You know, one thing I think with three the Rams free agency move, and, and I kind of wonder if they'll go this route, but they seem to find you know they're important pieces, but more of like your role player type guys through free agency. And now, you know, two years, it's hard to kind of identify too much and call too many things a trend. But, you know, this year they went in, they got a defensive tackle, they got an outside linebacker in Diggs, they got a defensive tackle in Fred Robbins. Um, You know, they they bolstered the offensive line depth with Hank Fraley. You can argue whether that was an effective move or not. And they bolstered the cornerback depth with Kevin Dockery. Again, you can argue whether that was a good move or not, but they're fairly low risk, useful moves. It's prob- they're probably upgrades over where the Rams have been in recent seasons, but low cost, low cost, under the radar kind of free agency moves. Now, I think this year in free agency they need a little bit of a home run. Now, I don't mean that necessarily they need to go out and get, you know, like Jason Brown, where you know they made the sixty million dollar free agent signing. Now the Browns. Free agent move was a big deal. It worked. It was a smart move. I think this year you got to see something similar on the defensive side of the ball, and that is going to kind of hinge on the draft a little bit too. But I, I think they've got to do something on the line and an outside linebacker. I re- and that's one one thing that made um, Ramrod's post so interesting was that you know it was it was all about defensive players. It was it was five defensive players. One cornerback, one outside linebacker, and, de- and and three defensive linemen. So, I guess that's kind of what I would like to see the Rams do in free agency this year. But, again, that's always kind of risky because, I mean, if, it depends on what the CBA situation is, and, and I hate to go out, I hate to see him go out and spend a lot of money on, you know, a 32, 33-year-old 
defensive lineman at this point in time. Uh, maybe that works for a year. Maybe it doesn't. But I, I don't know. I don't know. 3K? Yeah, I mean, the CBA makes the whole thing difficult to project. And, and like you said right now, it's just for discussion's sake more or less. A lot of it, like you talked about, has to do with strategy. The same way we talk about draft strategy, there are teams, franchises that have specific free agent strategies. When you look at a team like the Washington Redskins, you know they're going to go out every summer and throw huge amounts of money at whoever the hottest names are. It, it doesn't always stick, but it does more often than not. The problem is when you do that, you make it very difficult to develop chemistry, that, that kind of you know, natal chemistry that comes from burying your own players through the draft and allowing them to grow up you know, in, inside the franchise and inside the system to become more, you know, it's not even productive, but almost, almost complementary, the same way that certain guys, you know, I hate to bring up a guy like Drew Bennett, but you bring up these guys that, that do so much in the system and for the teams that they could, and then when they move away, it, it doesn't work anymore. And the reason why is simple. Yeah. It's because they were crafted. They, they were you know, they were brought up to simply match what was going on, and that's why they were brought in in the first place. When you bring guys in for free agency, it's not just Albert Hainsworth, but he's an easy example. He's an easy paradigm. He's already developed his skill set. And, yes, he's very, very good at his skill set, but it's almost like the Redskins were looking at him like a draft pick. And you say, yeah. well, could he do this? I know, I know he's been able to do this in a 4-3, but could we get him to translate his game for that? Sure. But then the question becomes, why are you paying so much money? You're paying for him as a 4-3 defensive tackle, not a 3-4 nose. And so I think the key to me, and I don't have any problem with going out and making a big spending splash in a free agency, but it's going to be doing it wisely. Even you look at Mark Clayton, I know know he was cheap, but the money was spent wisely because it fit. And I know we're almost at the end of the hour, so for everybody who was participating in the open thread, I think this is the best open thread we've had for an episode. Uh, thanks for listening. We're about to go off, but you can hear the rest of the episode when you download it to iTunes, iPod, iEverything, Apple Runs the World. We know how it works. You'll, you'll hear the rest of this. And, and I think the key in free agency is going to be spending money appropriate to value, whether that's a whole lot of money or just a little bit of money, what, whatever the case sure. may be. Getting the most out of it, guys like Mark Clayton, guys like Fred Robbins, those are the kinds of moves that fill in cracks that can make you viable over the course of an NFL season. Well, and you brought up a good point, 3K, too, was, was that you know, it, it, it's the consideration of the guys you're bringing in, and the, the Hainsworth example is a good example of that. But, you know, we all kind of snickered on the site that, you know, this was the, the Rams had sort of a relocation program for former Eagles and former Giants, but those are known commodities. They know that James Butler and Fred Robbins and Niall Diggs, because you've got the connection with Flahole in Carolina – but they know that signing those guys and bring them in, they know they can fit and play in this system. Now, yeah, maybe some of them, Dockery, for example, aren't you know, your starting caliber guys, but they know that those guys can come into this system and they can play in this system, whether it's as a replacement, whether it's as a role player, whatever it is. And that's a smart way to go. And like I say, you know, it was kind of a joke that it was a the, the former – Eagles-Giants relocation program, but that's a smart way to go about free agency. It really, really is. And you get much more bang for your buck that way. And, you you know, you get a more you, – you continue to have a cohesive team that's a cohesive unit on a team that isn't about 
the individual players so much as it is about a system that works. And and I think that's another consideration you you've got to hope to see in free agency this year, and not you know go out and get a player just because. I'll use the Vincent Jackson example. Now, I mean, maybe Vincent Jackson's a guy the Rams should pursue. I don't know. But, you know, that might not be the best fit for what the Rams are trying to do. And it's not necessarily about the money. It's just about a guy that's fit in the fact that, okay, it is a little bit about the money because is it a fit? And it better be a damn good fit because you're going to pay him a dump truck full of money. So, those are that's that's a consideration with some of those marquee guys like that too, you know. Three K, the biggest free agent question right now for the Rams is Mark Clayton. You know, we've mentioned him in the last thirty seconds, but do the Rams re-sign Mark Clayton? They've got Donnie. Ideally, they got Donnie Avery coming back. He'll be healthy, ready to play next year. Do you go out and you re-sign Mark Clayton, given what you saw from from him through four four games this season? I mean, that's, it's a, that's a tough question. It's a fairly low-risk move. Yeah. But. Sure. I think the question becomes, are you getting, you know, the 2010 version of Mark Clayton? If you if you think that you're getting, you know, a healthy Mark Clayton, the same kind you got from Baltimore, that still can continue to develop that same rapport that he had shown with Sam Bradford early on in his career, then it makes sense to bring him back. The difference is Bradford has progressed. And, and before when he was relying on Mark Clayton, and even in that intermediate stage where he was relying almost solely on Danny Amendola, especially that game when Clayton went down, Bradford has shown a willingness to spread the ball around. He's shown greater comfort w- within the system, and that's why he's gone, What I think it was, was it 12 touchdowns, one interception the last six? It, it's something yeah. ridiculous, the touchdown-to-interception ratio this last month, month and a half. And, and I think that shows that that's what you get when you get a high, the highest quality franchise rookie quarterback is that he's going to put things on his shoulders that decreases the value in wide receivers maybe that means maybe that in and of itself uh pushes us to re-sign mark clayton because we know he's not going to be as expensive as other options whether it be first round wide receiver vincent jackson other high profile guys like that mm-hmm. i don't know i i don't know that's going to be a tough decision i mean that wide receiver core as a whole is just stamped with a giant question mark as soon as the season's over. I, re- I really don't know how you deal with it. The good thing, I-, I think the good thing is, every time this Rams franchise has been faced with a hurdle since Devaney and then since Spagnuolo came on as head coach, they've gotten past it, they've climbed the ladder, and they've gotten to the next question. Um, yeah. You know, dealing with how do you want to remake the roster, and the answer was gut it, and they've done that incredibly well and been able to craft a, a viable competitive team. You know, t- two, three drafts now uh, under each of their belts, respectively, and they've built a, a, a very competitive team within their division. Obviously, across the NFL, that may not be the case, but you've got enough talent on there to suggest that in the next one or two years they're going to be there. Um, you know, yeah, e- e- each time they get these conceptual hurdles, the big hurdles that you really face as a general manager and a head coach, that you got to give them, if not just passing grades, then really, really high marks because they're getting it done. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you've got you know your core units are solid are, are solid groups. Now, the weaknesses are big weaknesses. You know, the outside linebacker thing we've talked about a lot lately, or you know maybe some of the, the some of the interior run blocking issues. Now they're they're big weaknesses, but you look at the linebackers or you look at the offensive line. You don't need to rebuild those units. You need players to drop in a couple spots on those units to make them even better. Put them at that next level. 
And that's a really good place for the Rams to be because it opens up a lot of things in the draft and free agency, especially with the draft because then you're really more in a position of, and I guess you're kind of always in a best player available position. But, you know, it's like you said earlier with the quarterback. We don't need to look for a quarterback this season. We don't need to look for a left tackle or a right tackle next season. We don't need to look for a middle linebacker. We don't need to look for another stud cornerback. We don't need to look for... Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that's a you know that's a that's a good spot for the Rams to be. And now it's just it's those guys, whether the draft and free agency, that fit, that makes sense for the system, that can grow with the unit, that can grow into a championship St. Louis Rams. Sure, and that that's what to me makes this the biggest hurdle is because it, it's. I won't, I don't want to say easier. It's simpler, I guess. It's it's much more defined. When you're re, when you're gutting and really focused on rebuilding, you know that the draft is everything. You're not going to put together a team through free agency when you suck. You just can't do it. Mm-hmm. So you've got to put all your effort and all your focus into drafting the right kind of guys to bring your team out of the bottom and raise the caliber of your entire franchise on their shoulders. We've done that. Uh, you know, Chris Long in and of itself ha- has helped the defensive line, and obviously the scheming and how we develop blitzes has too. But you've got to put, you've got to give credit for guys like James Laurinaitis, Bradley Fletcher, Saffold Smith, and Bradford. The, those yeah. picks have defined where this franchise is going. They're the reason that this franchise is moving in a positive direction. The issue now is now that you're a viable team, even you could argue we're a good team, you could argue, argue we're a mediocre team, even below average. I think there's arguments to be made for all of those. But the question now is now that you're in essentially the second tier, you know, where you look at the power rankings, we're high teens, 20th, whatever. We're in the middle of the NFL. How do you approach free agency in the draft in terms of improving your teams? When you have priorities that fit within your schemes, you know, outside linebacker, is that a priority that depends on how outside linebacker factors into your defensive mentality? How do you approach that kind of priority? Is it a free, you know, if, it, if outside linebacker behind defensive line, wide receiver, backup running back, whatever, is maybe the third or fourth, where do you draft for that? Do you ignore the draft and put – point to free agency to improve that. Those are the kind of questions that the, that this front office has to address, and I think this is really going to be the, the, the defining offseason for the Rams moving forward. Knowing that we have a quarterback like Sam Bradford, that we all know the future's bright, and it's going to get really good. The question is, how yeah. good is it going to be, and is the franchise going to make the moves necessary to make sure that when Bradford's in the position and doing the right things, that we're getting the most out of him? Well, and, you know, you've also got to weigh in, it's like this is a pretty young team still, and 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 how much is is one more year in the league, or how much are some of these younger players going to be ready to assume some bigger roles? And and you know, you, you talk about Fletcher and Laurinaitis and Saffold. That those are the most obvious examples because those are guys that came in and made a difference almost instantly. Well, now next year you, you're looking at guys like Marty Gilliard. You're looking at Jerome Murphy. You know, some of these other draft picks some of these other young players that are, you know, maybe they're rookies right now, but they're going to be expected to have their game at a little bit of a higher level next year and contributing a little more than they are this year. So, you know, that's another factor that's going to weigh in on all this. Just, be, you know, assume that just because those guys are young or rookies or that's a soft spot on the roster doesn't mean that those guys won't be more impactful contributors next year when the Rams are filling out their rosters and looking for uh, looking for help in free agency in the draft. Sure. 
Sure. I mean, it's not a perfect analogy, but on some levels it it at least makes sense. You know, my favorite team is Texas Rangers in baseball. In 2007, when we traded away Mark Teixeira, I started telling people 2010 was a target year because of all the the young rookies that we put in place. I knew that, you know, estimating that it's going to take two to three years for a lot of those guys to move through the minor leagues, they're going to start being able to make an impact three years from now. Guys like Elvis Andrews, shortstop, who – gladly got some national fame this past season. Uh, Josh Hamilton, and that brings up the other point. When do you try to make the risky move? Because the Rangers had a good pitcher in Edison Volquez that we traded straight up to the Reds for Josh Hamilton. Now, obviously, as the AL MVP, it worked out. But when you talk about the Rams, you know, are you going to make a big move or is it a bunch of small moves? You know, that's the kind of conceptual question that we're going to get answered this offseason. And it's as big a question as you can possibly get. Because we all know if we we make the right decisions, if we make the right moves, and we stay healthy, we're going to be in the hunt. We're going to be in the hunt every season, Uh you know, from 2012 to what, maybe 2016? I mean, the future is bright. you got Bradford locked up. You're going to have the opportunity to continue to draft guys that can contribute. Things look good for the Rams. The key is going to be, you know, how how do we support the structure that's already there? It's going to be a fun ride, man. Yeah, absolutely. And this is going to be uh, this is going to be a much different off season than what we've kind of been used to with St. Louis. In that, you know, you're not really starting from scratch this time around. You've got a, a good core team, and now it's about getting those players that that make it that take it to the next level, as opposed to bringing out of the fire. So uh, that's that's going to make this. It's just you know you look at the draft and you're talking about the Rams picking, you know anywhere from 12th to 22nd in the draft and and that's a, I mean it's 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 a lot that makes the draft conversation entirely different than it was the last few years when you're picking first and second in the first round. I mean you know that's a that's almost an easier conversation to have when you do have the first or second overall pick than when you have. You know, when you're picking in the bottom third of the first round, don't you think? Oh, definitely. And the thing that's going to make it fun for me as somebody who loves the draft is the last two years, it was almost certain what we were doing. You know, I had Bradford pegged uh, at this time last year as our number one pick. I, I dare anybody to try to suggest that there's a specific prospect that the Rams are going to pick in the first round and say it with any certainty. It's not You can't say that. We have no idea what the Rams are going to do in the first round this year, and that's what makes it fun. Two years ago, in November, I knew that we were going to take a tackle. It, you know, I started throwing it out tertial times. Now, there were issues as to who we were going to take, Eugene Monroe, Andre Smith, Jason Smith. There were options out there. I, I didn't know which route we'd go, but I knew the position was the one that made the most sense to immediately draft an upgrade this year. Who knows, man? Who knows? Uh, it's it's the wild, wild west this year when it comes to the draft. It's like the, I can say it's the Roger Saffold pick. It could be anything. It really could be anything, any player, any need, any position, almost except obviously quarterback or middle linebacker. I'm sure those are out of the question, but you sure. know, any anything else is on the table. I mean, this is this is the life you lead as a, as an improving middle of the pack team. Yeah, you know the, those first ten picks in the NFL draft. I don't I don't really care who other teams are going to pick, but it's it's going to impact who the Rams are able to take, and that's going to make it really interesting. It's going to be a really fun NFL draft as a Rams fan. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Three K with that's a draft. That's that's we said the D word. So I you know we're constitutionally obligated. 
to talk a little bit of draft on Turf Show Radio. Am I right? I guess so, man. I mean, it looks like Auburn and Oregon got the national championship wrapped up. Not not a not a huge, you know, web of of NFL prospects in that national championship game, but it's so. it's good to get down to the end of college football and get into bowl season when, you know, like we were talking about the end of the Rams season when you find out who's who. That that's really when your scouting becomes that much more appropriate is who steps up in these bowl games. It's going to be a interesting time for the the draft Knicks over this next month. Yeah, and then because you know, right around the corner from that is Senior Bowl and and all those other um, pre-draft events like that, leading up to the Combine. And then it's just it's Katie by the door because it's draft talk two four seven with a little interlude for free agency. Yeah. Well, what what do you think, man? What's uh, what's on your mind in terms of prospects, in terms of the college game? I mean, we talked about it conceptually, but. You know, I, you know what? What, what, what are you thinking right now? Who are you watching? Who, who's impressing you? Well, I, I'm not watching right now because they're not playing, obviously. But uh, you know, a name that that somebody brought up in the comments today that I kind of went, it it made me head to the old research machine. But is uh, Michael Lashore in Illinois? Sure. You know, reminds uh, me sort of like C- Stephen Jackson in that he's a he's a powerful. Bruiser, that Sylvester. I mean, he's not Sylvester Croom running back per se, but you know, he is that kind of model of tough, strong, stout guy that you know can drag can drag a linebacker oh, yeah. for a couple more yards. Is that? What I we, mean, you know, I'm not sure that that's what we need with Stephen Jackson already. Yeah, in terms of I'm, I, no, so ahead, I guess I, you know, I come back more to like a speedy. You know, not necessarily a Dexter McCluster, but more like a you know a Darren Sproles type, right? You know, second running back, speedy receiver. You know, a different wrinkle for the offense kind of kind of guy, as opposed to just a carbon copy backup of Stephen Jackson. Not that that wouldn't be a useful useful player to have, but it's a you know that's 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 a that's I guess kind of where I've been fixed these last few days when in talking prospects. Yeah, Michael Sharp, I mean, he's a good, he, he's an interesting prospect. He has, and I guess you could argue his biggest game was the one at Wrigley, the one Illinois played at Northwestern, and he absolutely killed it. He finished with 330 yards. Uh, showed some of the best agility that he's shown all season, which is, I guess, his biggest flaw because he's so strong. He's, on, he's a pretty squat guy. I know he's going to weigh in at 230, and he doesn't have a ton of height, which you're never going to get a really, really tall running back. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, I guess you could say he's similar to Steven Jackson to a degree. I don't think he has the quickness, that first-step acceleration that Steven Jackson had no. when he came to the NFL. But he's still a valuable power back. Um, I'd also agree with you that that I don't think makes the most sense for the Rams to pick up. Uh, you know, the, the change of pace back I think is going to be the route that we should take. Um so I don't know, but he he makes an interesting case simply because how many power backs do you want to see in, in a you know on your own team? You look at a, a team like Minnesota Vikings where you've got an Adrian Peterson that certainly isn't without power, and they go and get a guy like Toby Gerhardt. Uh, you know, seeing seeing Stephen Jackson and on that third and one play where we didn't get the first down, that you got to say that there could be some value to get a, getting a bruiser type specifically. Uh, to be able to spell Steven Jackson in those opportunities. Now, I've always said that, you know, Steven Jackson is probably my favorite third-down running back in the NFL. But, you know, <laughs> Kenneth Darby isn't getting on the field that much uh, and certainly isn't getting a whole lot of carries. Somebody's going to start getting him. 
you know, and if you wait too long, it's probably going to be the wrong guy. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, but he's definitely a prospect worth keeping an eye on. Uh, another one I'll throw out, man, because he's playing tonight is Jordan Todman. He's one of my favorite backs in the same class. They're both juniors. Todman plays at Connecticut. He'll be in the ACC, or not the ACC, the Big East game tonight that will determine who gets the uh, premier Big East BCS spot. And he's somebody to watch, man. I love Jordan Todman. He kills it every time out. Quick guy, tiny, flashy, electric. And on a team like Connecticut where you know they're not really stacked with talent in the football program, for him to do what he's done over the last couple of years has been really impressive. Absolutely. Absolutely. 3K, it's been, yet again, another one hell of a turf show radio. It has. This has been a good episode, man. I'm telling you that open thread. I was surprised. We got some good love. I'd love, you know. I always love getting more callers, but damn. But if you you're not much call, at least you can contribute in the open thread. You know, that, that's the that's the beauty of SV Nation and Tertial Times. There are multiple ways to express thyself. However, a- you feel it most comfortable. I don't know. I can't. I can't do the old English that long. But yeah, I mean. <laughs> You know, I, I love the comments as much as I love the call, so I'm, gl- I'm glad to get that much participation. That's the key. Absolutely. Good good, good term, good term. Yeah, man. Well, with that, 3K, I guess I'm going to get back to growing my mustache. <laughs> nice. i got to go stock the bar, man. Any, any recommendations off the top of your head? Say again? i got to go restock the bar. I'm out of beer. I'm low on my my delicious liquors, so I'm I'm gonna make a couple runs to the lo- you know pump some money into my local economy in a forgotten industry of booze. I don't brewing. know. You know, Maker's Mark was on. They had a little Christmas treat, and Maker's Mark was on sale at the local liquor store here. So can't oh, really? beat that. Was it that little red, white, and blue package? No, it was just the normal. Huh. The the regular old red wax seal, Maker's Mark. Yeah, makers is good stuff. Uh, you know, if it, if it if it saves me five dollars, I'll take it. It's a so it's not it's a valuable valuable part. Stuff. I've always loved the fact that it's from Star Hill Farm. Like, you know, when I think farms, I think you know cash crops. I think livestock. I don't really think whiskey. I don't know. <laughs> and there, what, what, you know, you think what, about that what, picture what, of American Gothic. Yeah. I don't really think the guy with the pitchfork, and that barn behind him, is really brewing up some. Some high-quality liquor behind him. I don't know. Star Hill Farm. I don't know, 3K. There is no American bourbon. There is no better example of good old U.S. of A. ingenuity right there. I couldn't agree more. And with that, I'm going to make that my last Palinism of the episode and, <laughs> and um, offer it up offer it up to the Rams fans out there. We'll see you in the open thread tomorrow. Big game. 3K, parting words. Yeah, thanks, uh, thanks for everybody for listening, commenting in the open thread. You know we're going to see you tomorrow. You know what it is. Go Rams. Go Rams. Good night, everybody. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? (laughs) And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. 
We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find us anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.